0: You're listening to the Eyes on Conservation podcast, episode 69. Welcome to the Eyes on Conservation podcast, where we bring you engaging conversations about wildlife conservation from all across the globe. I'm your host, Matt Podolsky. Today in the show, we are talking with PhD candidate from the University of Utah, Mark Chinoweth. Mark is conducting fascinating research on large carnivores in eastern Turkey, focusing specifically on gray wolves, brown bears, and the Eurasian lynx. Mark's research provides some great insight into the conservation issues faced by large predators all across the globe, and he's also got some interesting stories about what it's like to conduct biological research in a politically unstable country. Let's jump into the conversation. All right, I'm here with Mark Chinawith, who is a PhD candidate at the University of Utah. How are you, Mark? I'm doing great. Awesome. Thanks a lot for coming on the show today. Um Uh, Mark, you're involved in some really fascinating research at the University of Utah, but I wanted to start things off with uh, just some background information. Maybe you can give us sort of a quick summary of the research and conservation work that you were involved with um, before uh, moving to Salt Lake City.
1: Unlike some people, I didn't have like an aha moment, you know, that that, why I started getting involved in biology and specifically conservation. It was kind of like a a, a gradual move um, and really the result of good mentorship in my undergrad. So I just uh, worked with some great advisors and and mentors that kind of pushed me in this direction, which I'm, I'm happy about. And after I graduated from an undergrad at SUNY Geneseo in New York, um, I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but I wanted to be outside and wanted to kind of contribute to conservation in, in some way and ended up being involved with an environmental education for about four or five years and kind of bounced around between a few different um, organizations that kind of focused on trying to educate a variety of different age groups about the world around you, nature, uh, how to contribute to conservation and environmental environmentalism in general. Um, but a- after a while, kind of realized that I wanted a little bit more and I didn't want to be leading snorkel tours when I was 45 years old necessarily. Uh, so um, decided to go back to school at the University of, of Hawaii and really started to get involved with uh, animal movement more specifically and conservation of, of ecosystems and working with large mammal ecology. And so that's kind of where I started to get that focus uh, and so started working on a project uh, looking at invasive mammals on the Hawaiian Islands, specifically feral goats, which was pretty interesting. Um, So instead of studying an individual species to try to conserve it, it was studying a species, how to manage it and prevent it from damaging these uh, relatively fragile island ecosystems out in the Pacific.
0: So maybe you can just sort of jump right into your PhD research and just sort of give us an overview of, like, what central questions are you striving to answer through this this project that you're involved with?
1: Well, kind of what I was, I was getting at a little bit with that earlier question is, I think I'm most interested in a lot of basic ecology. Um, and, and that's what's most satisfying to me as an individual. Uh, so, so simple questions like, how many of the species, you know, how many individuals in this population or uh, what type of habitat selection does this species have, what is it eating, uh, that sort of thing. And that's kind of the focus of, of my, my Ph.D. research. Um, and this is, this is working in a pretty fascinating place in uh, northeastern Turkey. Um, and it's, it's focused on a few different species, but trying to answer the, those really basic questions. But those questions will help guide the conservation of, of an ecosystem and those species as well, but kind of focused on this ecosystem level conservation. Um, and so, th- there's, there are many many questions, I guess, that I'm trying to answer with with my work. Um, but uh, I, I think what's what's most interesting is the place that it's happening. So uh, I, I'm really happy studying any. Any species I happen to focus on on mammals and, and large carnivores more specifically, um, but I think my questions are more about what these animals are doing in order to guide conservation efforts. So this uh, this region in eastern Turkey is, is quite fascinating because well, Turkey itself is fascinating because it's it's a massive country. It has uh, I think it's the only country that has three biodiversity hotspots that spread across about eighty percent of the country, um, and because of that, uh, it, it harbors just a phenomenal amount of biodiversity. So, yeah, I I think the study area where I'm working in in northeastern Turkey is interesting because it's where these two biodiversity hotspots meet, the Iran-Anatolian and the Caucasus biodiversity hotspot. And in this general region – uh, there are approximately eleven important plant areas, thirteen important bird areas, and twenty-two key biodiversity areas. But but all these things just mean that this place is pretty remarkably unique. And so, working in this system, in this study system, um, the the ultimate goal is just to protect all this biodiversity. And I'm focusing on large carnivores because this is or these species are. Great conservation tools, in a sense. If, if you understand the habitat requirements of these wide-ranging species, you can treat them as, like, an umbrella. Um, and, and that's a term, an umbrella species, to kind of uh, – if you, if you manage to protect their habitat, you will also protect the habitat for many, many other species. You can think about how far a bear ranges, um, you know, across sometimes – 5,000 square kilometers or something like that. Think about all the species that are also living within that range that you are also uh, protecting or, or managing to maintain that biodiversity.
0: Uh, I mean, maybe you can sort of break this down a little bit for us. And, and you know, you mentioned that this work that you're doing in northeastern Turkey is, is focused on large carnivores. Um, I mean, what species are you specifically focusing on and, and, and what have you learned about their populations
1: sure um, there's there's three main species that i'm focusing on the eurasian brown bear the gray wolf and the eurasian lynx and, and actually we believe that this it's a subspecies of eurasian lynx where we are working uh, called the caucasian lynx um, but uh of these three species i've done the most work on uh brown bears and gray wolves Partially because there, uh, n- none of these species are particularly easy to, easy to study or easy to work with, um, but lynx are particularly difficult. So uh, we've learned a little bit about lynx, but they're just a little bit harder to uh, to <laughs> keep track of, I guess, or or track down. down I should say. Um, but uh, j- just to think about one species as an example, um, the the brown bear uh, over in eastern Turkey is is fascinating, and bears are pretty incredible in general, right? They're this this, they're a large carnivore, but they're omnivorous, right? They're actually eating a lot of, of forbs and grasses. Um, and then, of course, they scavenge and they will take down their, their prey as well. But, um, so, so what we've learned about this species in our study area in eastern Turkey is that it's remarkably reliant on human food sources. And that's not too much of a surprise. Uh, you know, we, we know about bears and how they you know, will, will visit people's backyards and their history with garbage dumps and things like that. Um, But what we're learning in eastern Turkey is that they do rely on uh, a garbage dump in the area specifically, uh, but they're also raiding uh, dumpsters in towns. Um, They're getting close to military bases and farms uh, and small villages uh, to access whatever food is available. Um, And this this little fragmented forest where we're working in has become a kind of a source population for brown bears. And, and that's what we believe at this point anyway. Um, and what that means is that the resources there, even though they're human-based or anthropogenic, that they're able to actually uh, provide a source population and these animals may be able to uh, move out to other, other forests in the surrounding area. Uh, I, I think maybe what I forgot to mention about this study system is that it's, it's a human-dominated landscape. And why it's interesting to work in this type of landscape is because that's increasingly what it's like in in the world around us, right? We think of studying wildlife biology or wildlife ecology and, you know, you you think you you might be working in some beautiful natural environment Um, and and those types of studies and that work is really important, but increasingly with with our human-dominated planet, we need to start thinking about managing wildlife um, and and biodiversity in these human-dominated landscapes.
0: Neat. So, I mean, yeah, that that kind of brings up a, a question, which is that, you know, like you said, you know, here in the US, when we think about uh, sort of the conservation of large predators, you know, we think of that as generally like pretty controversial, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and especially when you have these situations where wolves and bears um, sort of move into these human dominated landscapes, like what you said, uh, you know, you're seeing in Turkey. It sounds to me like what you're saying is that you know, there is this level of symbiosis between this brown bear population and the human communities that it lives with.
1: And, and I I agree with what you, you kind of say there, this potential for some sort of symbiotic relationship. But, of course, uh, I, I'm taking the animal perspective right now, but there's a very important human perspective. Um, and... You know, when I first started out in the in the field of wildlife ecology and biology, it's like you're you're into it because of the animals and the natural world, right? But then, as you move forward in your career, you realize that it's actually about managing people, and the best thing for wildlife is for us to get out of the way uh, in in most situations. Um, and and the the human perspective perspectives over in Eastern Turkey are are quite similar to everywhere else in the world, right? You have uh, in this. In this area where I'm working, it's largely agrarian, agrarian community, a lot of ranchers, a lot of farmers, and so they encounter the same obstacles that we see uh here in the in the Western US, in um, other parts of the world, so it's the same sort of conflicts where farmers, t- of course, don't want to have bears raiding their fields. Um, and, and in this region in Turkey, we have a lot of honey production too, so they have problems with bears raiding their apiaries. Um, not not to mention the potential for human harm, right? With with these large carnivores, so, so those same conflicts certainly exist. And as I was moving through this this project, um, and we use a variety of Of technology to try to answer questions, including GPS collars. So we're capturing animals, deploying GPS collars. We're using camera traps. Uh, We're collecting uh, tissue for genetic analysis. Um, But but you know, three years three years into the project, it's sort of like, uh, you know, oh crap, we really got to start asking people about what they think because if we don't address this issue of people and their activities in the forest and how they're how they're working in the landscape, we're we have no chance. Chance of conserving these species or or the biodiversity in this in this region. So we started doing a lot of uh, community surveys um, and just to try to get a basic idea of of how people feel about living and, and sharing the landscape uh, with with large carnivores, which is not easy, you know.
0: <laughs> Definitely interesting to hear you say that about how like you're sort of getting that human perspective as well after f- sort of focusing, like you said, for those first three years on like just what this area looks like from you know the bears or the wolves perspective
1: yeah yeah and, and you start thinking oh what do we have to do to make more room for for these bears or, or wolves which is an important question but the reality is how do you create a landscape where humans and wildlife can coexist because you know you can't go into an area and tell people you got to get out of here you have to stop doing what you're doing um, you have to stop farming the way you're farming because we want this bear to <laughs> to be able to live here um and that's that's not necessarily a reality in a lot of parts of the world, right? So I think that's the the real interesting part of working with wildlife and large carnivores specifically is you have this challenge of creating a landscape where humans can coexist, which is which is very difficult. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a fun puzzle, right? So, and and hopefully there's some job security. me there there will always be some issues right
0: (laughs) yeah for sure for sure so i mean maybe you can talk like a little more specifically about like the conservation uh challenges that that these predators uh wolves and bears are, are facing in eastern turkey i mean do most of these sort of conservation threats that you're seeing to these species i mean do they stem from uh these uh sort of Human wildlife
1: conflicts that you're talking about, uh, a, a little bit. And, and so I mentioned earlier just some of the unique biodiversity in this in this region in eastern Turkey, which really makes it a phenomenal place. Um, but they they are they have the same environmental issues that ecosystems are encountering around the world, right? So problems with uh, habitat loss and fragmentation. And so this is mostly due to agricultural activities. This is a big uh, ranching area, so there's a lot of livestock production—cows, goats, sheep. Um, so you know that type of of, of activity leads to deforestation um, and creating these patches of forest and like this this fragmented landscape. And that can have a big impact on on wildlife and large carnivores specifically, right? These animals need intact habitat. Um, Sometimes they can survive on the edges of habitat, so these bears can go in and actually utilize human food sources. But th- they also need intact forest, you know, to rest during the day, uh, in order to reproduce, uh, you know, to mate with other animals, to raise their young, uh, that sort of thing. So um, that those agricultural activities have a big impact on the habitat quality, and that's the that's one of the biggest um, issues that we're seeing. And, and our long term goals are really to improve habitat. Quality and also improve habitat connectivity. Um, so that's those are the long term goals. Since habitat loss and fragmentation is really the biggest threat, um, and I can I can talk more in a moment about how we're doing that. But just to mention a couple other threats to these large carnivores, um, there is just re- general resource extraction, which is kind of linked to. Uh, habitat loss, so, so legal and illegal timber extraction. So that just I- impacts the habitat quality, um, but also direct persecution, right? So, so that's another threat that large carnivores are facing globally. Um, but we, we definitely see that a lot in eastern Turkey because, for, you know, for the same reasons that it happens here in the U.S. and other other parts of the world, it's hard to live with these animals. So if you have a pack of wolves uh, living where you're grazing your cattle, uh, and you Lose a few individuals uh, from your from your cattle herd. You lose a few cows on an individual level for, for that rancher. That can be catastrophic, right? If let's say you have a, a herd of a hundred head of cattle and you you lose five of them, uh, that's five percent of your of your <laughs> investment, right? So that's that's uh, that can be really difficult. So so direct persecution has become a, a pretty big threat for these 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 species as well.
0: It's, it's interesting that. I mean, there, there really are a lot of similarities between the sort of conservation threats facing uh, large predators, you know, here in the western U.S. and what you're talking about is going on in eastern Turkey. But, um, yeah, I am, I am curious to hear about what you were doing to address, you know, some of this habitat fragmentation that's going on. And, and I wonder if you're sort of collaborating with, like, local conser- conservation groups in Turkey.
1: Yeah, that, that's a that's a great question, and um, you know a lot of this this work is long term, um, and I certainly ho- hope to see it through. As a PhD student, I'm sort of charged or, or charged with or, or hired to answer a few questions that help contribute to some of these long term goals, which which I'm I'm very happy to do. Um, and the questions that I'm trying to answer that I mentioned at the beginning of this this uh, discussion, you know, how many individuals there are in a population. Uh, and what types of habitat selection they're exhibiting, that those sorts of things, um, that's going to help guide these conservation efforts. So as an example, uh, we're, we are using camera traps to try to understand what the mammal community looks like in this patch of forest in, in eastern Turkey. And what we're learning from our camera trap study is that we are observing sort of a hyperabundance of large carnivores, so we're seeing a lot of bears, wolves, and lynx, and we're seeing almost a complete absence of a natural prey base. And so that's pretty amazing, right? You have this forest where there are all these carnivores that we think of being at the top of the food web or food chain, right? And they're naturally low in numbers, and we should have this nice big prey base to support these animals. So they should have a lot of deer and and European hares and uh, wild boar, etc. But we're seeing really a complete absence of that. And so what that tells us in terms of of what we can do for conservation is we can try to improve the habitat quality so that way these natural prey species can sustain populations to support these animals. Um, We could... Potentially, uh, and I'm talking a little bit of like kind of pie in the sky sort of stuff, for like long term. But think about reintroducing uh, species back into the forest. Um, so let's say that we're, we're seeing a complete absence of, of roe deer, for example. Well, maybe we need to start thinking about um, bringing roe deer in from another part of Turkey uh, to try to sort of uh, stock of this forest with some natural prey for these animals. And, and hopefully in turn that will uh, prevent any human wildlife wildlife conflict right so if there's a natural prey base we hope that these wolves won't be visiting uh, ranches and visiting farms to, to prey on, on livestock because um, that, that's an issue of course um, so, so uh, hopefully that was sort of an example of how we can use uh, or you know, try to answer some question for example what does a mammal, mammal community look like in this patch of forest and we can use those answers to try to guide our conservation efforts to conserve the biodiversity in this region
0: yeah, that's that's really fascinating, the fact that you have these large populations of predators, but not much in the way of a prey base. You talked a little bit about how you were sort of learning that this bear population is sort of relying on human food sources to survive, so that kind of you know, lines up well with what you were talking about, about how there's, you know, not this substantial prey base, but you still have these predators. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, is that that the idea? I mean, is that sort of the same for, for like, wolves and these lynx, that, like, they're able to survive without this substantial prey base because they're relying on food that comes from these human communities?
1: Yeah, yeah, partially. And uh, so in the case of... of the gray wolf, um, over in Eastern Turkey, that's, that's exactly what's happening. So this is another species that is, is, is truly like a, a generalist, right. In terms of what it requires to survive. Um, so wolves can, they're phenomenal animals. They can survive on practically anything. And you, you see this kind of pop up all the time in the news. I, I don't know if you saw the, uh, you know, the, the, sea wolves, um, that, that just were sort of observed. So these wolves that were observed, you know, eating things out of the ocean. Right. Um, and that's just a testament to the, the adaptability of the species. So, uh, these wolves are also surviving on, on human food sources. So a lot of it scavenging. Um, and so just picking up whatever they can, wherever they can find it. Uh, wolves can also survive on small rodents, um, all, all these sorts of things. Um, but the, uh, and I think that's remarkably interesting, but also what is interesting are these links. So links are quite different. <clears throat> they're, they're more of an obligate carnivore. So they have to feed on, uh, well, they don't have to, but they typically want fresh food, right, a, a fresh kill. They don't necessarily want to scavenge, and you're not going to see a lynx um, going to a garbage dump to feed, uh, where we do see wolves and bears going to a garbage dump to feed or, or literally visiting dumpsters. So the lynx is more interesting. I mentioned that we don't um, we don't really have enough data to understand exactly what's happening with these lynx, um, you, you know, in terms of working in the field, there's I can share plenty of, of stories about trying to work with these animals and, and the difficulties associated with it. But, but we spent three years really trying to, to capture links to deploy GPS collars and over the course of three years we were uh, successful in capturing the first links ever in Turkey uh, but we only caught two of them in three years you know and, and that's it's a lot of work and a lot of effort just to get a little bit of information about two individuals so it's it's been a challenge and we don't fully understand what's happening with that particular species yet and it just requires more time and, and, and more effort um, to try to understand what's happening.
0: How about these bears and these wolves? How are those populations doing?
1: Yeah, it's 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 a t- it's a tough question, and I guess I'll start with with the way I ended the last question. So I don't know, <laughs> but uh, as we're moving forward with this with this project, it appears that they are stable at this point. But it's it's really difficult to say. Um, and one of the th- one of the questions I'm trying to answer with my work uh, is is estimating population size of all three of these species, um, and and. Counting, counting animals is tough and particularly counting large carnivores is very difficult and the way that we're going about this is actually collecting scat samples um, and extracting DNA from these scat samples to do essentially molecular fingerprinting um, and so if we collect enough samples and identify enough individuals uh, with a little bit of statistics we can estimate a, a population size for each of these species and so I mean that's uh, actually what I've been spending a lot of time on lately is, is that work um, so again I, I don't really know uh, it appears that th- they're stable in, in our study system, um, but hopefully we'll know more in, in a year when I when I finish finish up this project.
0: I'm curious if the political situation in Turkey has had any impact on your research.
1: Um, definitely, um, it definitely has an impact. Um, and I'm, I'm just sort of chuckling because it's like where to, where to start, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I uh, um, and you know, I, I think that conservation is. Uh, is is really a a political endeavor, right? Um, And as much as I I feel lucky because I'm able to do a lot of wildlife biology and wildlife ecology that I really enjoy. But when you get down to the root of it, you know, you need to – to make political moves to, to try to accomplish some of these conservation goals. So I'm out there counting bears, right? But if I say, hey, there's 100 bears in this forest, that doesn't really matter unless I've got somebody helping me out at, at some governmental level who's going to say, okay, then let's protect that forest. Um, and so the political situation in Turkey is, is, is unstable right now, to say the least. And that definitely has an impact on our, our Long-term goals for this project, um, and I, and I have to you. You asked earlier about um, working with with local organizations, and um, we work with the Kuzey Doa Society, uh, which is a nonprofit over based in Eastern Turkey, uh, and they and they do great work. And really, without them, we wouldn't be able to try to accomplish some of these conservation goals going, going back to that example of counting bears. Like I can go do that, but they're the ones who are really pushing, uh, to protect these areas to, uh, establish Turkey's first wildlife corridor in the region. Um, and so without them, we wouldn't, you know, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be satisfied with my work either really. Right. I mean, my ultimate goal is to try to conserve biodiversity and make progress towards that goal. But without somebody pushing, uh, you know, that, that political agenda, um, it, it can't happen. Uh, so, so since the situation is a little bit unstable in Turkey, um, w- we're seeing an impact. It's, it's more difficult to get permits to do research. It's more difficult to get foreigners over there. Uh, we collaborate with uh, with people from different universities uh, in Croatia, in Switzerland, and it's hard to get these people there, these experts there to do this work. Um, and so, so that, that pushes us back sometimes uh, months or even years, uh, which is – Uh, unfortunate but it's it's the reality and we're doing whatever we can um but the political situation is not making it easy that's that's for sure (laughs) so so you've you've mentioned
0: camera traps uh, a few times as sort of a, a central component to collecting this data and doing this research that you're doing how important are these camera traps to the research you know how are you sort of utilizing them to collect this information
1: I mean I think uh camera traps are really an incredible tool to to study medium to large sized mammals and and other species too but they kind of they kind of target um those species um and you know one of the best things about camera traps is you can go put them out in the forest and you can go do other work and come back a month later and you have these data that you, that tells you what's going on in the forest, um, and more specifically, uh, what you can do is you can set them up in a specific study design to cover an entire area and try to answer very specific questions. So, in eastern Turkey, I have this grid where I've deployed these camera traps in a very systematic way um, to try to estimate the occupancy of of these species, including. All three large carnivore species, so bears, wolves, and lynx, but also prey species, um, and really get an understanding for the entire medium to large mammal community in this fragmented forest. And I, I mentioned that we want to estimate occupancy, but that's really just like the probability that um, a species is there, and you can try to correlate that with habitat variables so is it are you more likely to see bears where there's denser forest are you more likely to see wild boar along roads um, you can really look at a lot of different re- habitat relationships um, and try to understand what's happening in this mammal community and so this is a, a pretty large area it's about 328 square kilometers this forest and so we deploy about 45 to 50 camera traps throughout this region so that's um, you imagine hiking around and setting those up this is a, a pretty big endeavor to set up this camera trap grid um but the the return is great so with the information that we're gathering ab- about the this, this patch of forest is incredible and we're really understanding uh as i was mentioning er- earlier that we have this hyper abundance of large carnivores and this this almost complete absence of natural prey and that alone is is really interesting um, and then we can get into modeling occupancy and get into habitat relationships um which is what I'm working on now, but but that basic fact of of just relative abundance of carnivores carnivores versus natural prey is, is really incredible, and that tells us that while populations might appear to be stable, uh, it might not be sustainable, right, in in long term, um, and also almost more importantly, we might see more human wildlife conflict because. These species might be reliant on on human food, and we have the data to back that up, right? Uh, I think that's what's really important. And so these camera traps are great because I can spend you know weeks setting them up, but then they're up for for five months, and I've got five months of of data collection, which which is pretty incredible. And if you go back, you know, twenty five years or, or or whatever, that was impossible. And so these these camera traps are making it possible for us to learn a lot about the world around us. And and you can, you know, that study question or or study design that um, I was just describing, you can apply that to anywhere, right? So you want to understand the mammal community in the Wasatch Mountains in Utah, you know, you can deploy a bunch of camera traps and really learn a lot about what's going on out there.
0: It really seems like this relatively simple bit of technology has has really changed the way that, that we study wildlife.
1: Oh, oh, yeah. I couldn't agree more. And, I mean, I think uh, the fact that this, this technology is, is literally just a camera and batteries, right? Um, well, and, and a motion sensor. But really, the camera and batteries, uh, that technology is moving forward so fast because that's what we want in our phones, too, right? We want long-lasting batteries and, and better uh, camera technology for everything. Um, and so they're getting less and less expensive. Um, and there's a high demand. Uh, the market's kind of driven by North American hunters, uh, which... It's great. So we have these hunters that really want um, good quality game cameras, and that just drives the price down for researchers. So it makes us cheaper, makes it cheaper for us, uh, <laughs> you know, to buy these cameras. Um, so it, it's uh, it's it's really incredible, and it's it's changing wildlife ecology, really.
0: Yeah, and you know, it, it it brings up sort of a really interesting question, right? I mean, you're able to use camera traps to sort of learn all this really interesting information about. Um you know, large carnivores in eastern Turkey, um, and, you know, sort of the way, you know, that they interact with the ecosystem and the fact that there's this really low prey base, which is really interesting. But, like, I mean, you don't know what that ecosystem looks like 10 years ago or 20 years ago or 30 years ago, right? Yeah. Um, like, you don't know if... Like maybe 10 years ago, there was a larger prey base. Um, and like you said, this is like an unsustainable situation. Or maybe it's been like that for 30 years. I mean, there there's, there isn't really any way to know, is there?
1: Yeah, yeah. That's a... That's, uh, um, <laughs> <laughs> It's a great observation and question. Um, I think that's the reason to focus on these understudied parts of the world, too, is that we don't know what's been happening there, necessarily. Um, And so we better start finding out soon before it's all gone, (laughs) you know? Um, And... I don't know what will happen in the future, um, but I know that if people keep persecuting these large carnivores and there's no food for them, that that's not good news for these populations. Yeah, I guess I don't know what the answer is, um, but I think that we can make things better. I think that we can move towards increasing protected area and providing uh, more opportunities for humans and carnivores to coexist. And I think that's, that's the real challenge. Um, and maybe maybe you're right that they've they've been doing that for a long time, but I also think that it can get better, uh, and it can get easier for people and wildlife um, to to sustain themselves. I think.
0: So. Yeah, and you're absolutely right. You know, I mean, the first step is to get that baseline information in these areas where uh, ecosystems or certain wildlife populations have, have never been studied in in a comprehensive way, right? Mm-hmm it would be great if you had, you know, that same sort of, uh, data set going back 20 or 30 years. Right. Yeah, um, yeah. But at the same time, um, I mean, that's not really what conservation is about. Like you said, conservation is about looking to the future, um, and not sort of choosing some arbitrary point in the past as like, this is what you strive for. You know, what you strive for in the future is never going to look like what an ecosystem may
1: have looked like in the past. Right. It's <laughs> yeah. always
0: about finding a new balance. Right.
1: Yeah. And I, I think that's, that's a, a really good And, and, uh, insightful, and, and make, it makes me think too. Um, I, I'll, that's why, also, why I've enjoyed working on this project, and also uh, with my previous work in, in Hawaii. You work in in these areas that are really impacted by human activity, and I, I don't think conservation is always about you know the Yellowstone National Parks and these these vast wilderness areas. I mean, those are incredibly important, right? But we increasingly have to face these issues of coexistence of of humans. And wildlife or you know or us living in the natural world or, or how we impact the world around us, um, and, and I think that a lot of conservation issues and and, and you, of course you know this you know really focus on these types of ecosystems these these novel ecosystems that we 've created and it 's not about going back in time and recreating something it's it 's about making sure there's some type of balance and that these relationships still exist out there in in the world out there in these ecosystems and i think that's a that's a huge challenge and and uh it it keeps us uh it keeps us working hard and, and enjoying our work i guess you know so
0: so what comes next once you finish your phd research are you thinking about continuing uh to work in in eastern turkey in this region
1: You know, I I would be happy to. Um, I think time will kind of tell. As I move forward in my my own career, I I really hope to be doing the same kind of work. I would happily work in the same system. I I would really like to be involved with this project long term. Like a lot of conservation, um, this is, especially with with long-living species like large carnivores, it's it's very long term. So in 50 years from now, uh, we might see some some of the impacts of the of the conservation actions we're trying to move forward, so I, I want to stay involved with this project on any level, um, but also I'm looking forward to any opportunities trying to answer some 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 of the same basic ecology questions uh, but also moving forward and and doing some applied work in conservation um, yeah so w- we'll see what's out there in the future who knows. <laughs>
0: Awesome. Well, thanks a lot for, for coming on the show, Mark, and sharing your fascinating perspective on on this research um, that you're involved in in eastern Turkey. It's, uh, it's been a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, thank you very much, Matt. It's been a great time.
0: All right. That was our conversation with Mark Chinawith from the University of Utah. I love Mark's perspective on wildlife and large predator conservation. If you listen to this show regularly, then you know that I'm always talking about the importance of looking forward, not backward, when setting conservation goals. And I think it's clear that this perspective is becoming more and more common within the conservation community. Mark also made a great point about the importance of collecting baseline information on understudied wildlife populations. Conducting research in Turkey is certainly more logistically difficult than doing research here in the U.S., but Mark clearly sees the importance of collecting this important demographic information on these understudied carnivores, despite the difficulties. If you'd like to learn more about Mark's research in Eastern Turkey, you can check out the show notes page for this episode, where we'll have some additional information and relevant links, including some additional information on the Turkish nonprofit that Mark collaborates with, the Kuzi Doga Society. Those show notes can be found at wildlensinc.org EOC69. This episode was produced by myself, your host, Matt Podolsky. Our theme music is by The Humidors.